All right, everyone, welcome back to another weekly roundup edition of On the Margin. Today, I am joined, as always, by my persuasive co-host, Mr. Mark Yusko. Mark, welcome. Wow, no, thank you. Thank you, Michael. And I, uh, not, not apologies, but uh, new background today. And uh, I'm actually surprised we haven't seen this background more this summer, but we have not gotten to the mm. beach much this summer. So we're down at, at the beach and tops of the beach. Uh, very boring place. I say I, it's like going to 1950, you cross the bridge and it's like, oh, blood pressure goes down. It's like Mayberry RFD and uh, very excited to be here. Unfortunately, because uh, you're at the beach, it's, you know, no sock day. And I actually didn't grab any socks in my bag when I, when I left. If I had socks, they would be the Bitcoin bull because the, mm. the bull is back. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about it. And I'm actually super excited that there's the potential for a, a big sock reveal, sock day coming up for our one year anniversary. But I won't, I won't well, spoil that too much. We won't spoil it, but we do have some fun stuff uh, in, in, in line for the viewers here. Um, I also, I, I was very choosy with the adjective persuasive this morning because thanks to everyone that listened to the roundup yesterday, we are in the lead with Mike 250 for Digital Asset Summit. In case y'all didn't tune in for Come last on. week's roundup, Come we've on. got DAS in September 13th and 14th. Mark speaking there. We've got a whole big lineup of macro names, crypto names. Y'all got to go. But most importantly, if you go, use code Mike250 because I'm in a competition with Jason. Jack just entered the running as well. There is a dinner in line. Kate yes. needs a good dinner. Please do it for Kate. Folks, I mean, do, do, it. It, do it for um, Kate and, and do it, yeah. do it for us. Do it, do it for yeah. the greatest do show for us. in the Blockworks, you know, <laughs> hemisphere uh, ecosystem. And, uh, you know, he who shall not be named does not deserve any codes. <laughs> it's all Mike 250, all Mike 250. Exactly. And uh, correct. come join us. Look, you got to be there. I mean, this is, this is big. This is going to be a big show. Uh, you know, Jazz is always great. But digital asset summit, but this is going to be super big. Um, it's going to, you know, so be there, Mike 250. It's coming at a critical time because you and I are going to get to this later. But I think just in terms of institutional news, regulatory type news, two of the biggest stories that in, in the past year, right, have come out this last week, right? So you and I talked yeah. a little bit about BlackRock and their partnership with Coinbase. Now they had their own announcement this week where they're rolling out. Bitcoin exposure uh, to their clients. So that's a big story we're going to cover. And then we're going to cover these uh, Treasury sanctions, right? So the US Treasury came out and sanctioning Tornado Cash. That's a big, huge deal. Uh, and we can explain, we're going to get into it and explain why. Um, but first, we're going to start off with um, some uh, some of our macro stories for the week. We're going to talk about declining PPI and overall economic activity here. So surprise decline in PPI month over month, right? We got to talk about the headline well, inflation as well, but some, PPI is in a Michael, but not not a surprise. <laughs> not if you've been listening to the show. this 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 show, so mm. uh, not a surprise. And you know, get ready for more. Just get ready for more. You know, this is this is the you know the whole th the whole argument and the whole debate about you know is inflation transitory or not? Yes, the the bulk of inflation that, that people are, are talking about was two things, right? It was oil prices and used car prices. And, and really, yes, that was real. But the big thing was its currency devaluation. What, what happened over the past two years is the Fed created half 
which is amazing, half of all the dollars in 248 years of the Republic. And that is, you know, filtering its way down into uh, higher prices for everything. But it's not higher prices in the sense of more demand. It's higher prices in that the dollar you had is now worth 50 cents. And so you got to spend two to get to get one. And that that's what we're seeing. So uh, not surprising to me that as economic growth collapses everywhere because of this whole nonsense about nationalism and and uh, deglobalization, which is one of the most insane things, but it's not, it's not new, right? We, we've had these, these yeah. 90 year cycles of, okay, let's globalize, let's take Adam Smith's uh, advice and let's do comparative advantage. And you, you, know, you grow wheat and I'll grow corn and we'll trade uh, to, oh no, we'll do all of it ourselves. Doesn't work, mm. doesn't work as well. I mean, you, you can mm. survive, but it doesn't work as well. Yeah. Well, and just to, just to back up what you're saying here, right? We saw this, so the decline in, um, in, let's say in PPI, right? was largely driven by this collapse in uh, consumer energy, right? So that's the price of gasoline, basically wholesale gasoline. So, um, you know, the, the data backs up what you're saying there too. I, I'd be curious, um, honestly, maybe if we can just start this week off with a bit of a history lesson, can you just describe that Adam Smith uh, comparative advantage idea that you were describing? Uh, and then how does that kind of apply to what we've done with globalization? How do you see it unwinding? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the basic idea is you have a, a, a society, right, or a civilization that's mm -hmm. very localized. And so what do you got to do? Well, you got to grow food and then you got to build shelter and then you got to, you know, find ways to create commerce. And, and, and then you might start, you know, making some clothes to wear instead of just animal skins. And, and eventually you have, you have a modern society. Well, turns out, you know, if, if that society happens to be where, let's say where the original Vikings were roaming around the, the British Isles, um, turns out that weather there is not really good for growing certain crops. Uh, can't grow wheat very well. Can't grow citrus very well. Uh, so you'd like to have some of that and you, you know, get on your ship and someone says, hey, hey these, these Spaniards have, have some citrus and hey, these people in, in you know, Eastern Europe have, have this wheat stuff. So let's trade. Let, let's do some trade. And comparative advantage just says every geographic location is going to have some comparative advantage, either from resources or uh, protected, you know, air, you know, area where, where no one can come steal their stuff or uh, roots, roots of trade. And so if you're good at growing sheep, in the British Isles, you make sweaters, and then you trade them with people who are really good at, at growing wheat, and you have a nice, uh, a better life for everybody, because the people in the South get sweaters, and not that they really need sweaters, I guess, uh, and the people in the North uh, wouldn't want to wear a sweater in Spain or Portugal most of the time, mm. um, but sometimes. So it, it's just this idea that every place has something that they're good at, and every person, and every part of a community, and a, and a uh, civilization has something they're good at and let everybody do what they're good at instead of trying to do what they're not good at. Don't try to grow grapes in places where you should grow oranges, grow oranges, let people grow grapes and then trade. And for years, the world tried to globalize, right? For 
thousands of years, people tried to globalize. It went from nomadic tribes to then having transportation. And then you had, you know, things like the British Empire where the sun never set. And now colonization, mm. there's a little bit of bad stuff around that. Um, but at, at the end, what we learned is that Adam Smith was right and that we needed to have this, this global trade. And the other thing about it is it also... Uh, leading it all back to Bitcoin and, and the orange shirt, right? Is it had to do with with units of trade, right? That's where money came from. In the old days, you would um, have a farm and you had uh, chickens, and I had a farm and I had cows, and we would bring physically those cows and chickens to the market, and we would trade, we would barter. And they're like, geez, it's really a hassle to get those chickens to come to the market. So why don't I print little coins with chickens on them? And Mark will print little coins with, with cows on them. And we'll come to the market and we'll trade our coins. And then I'll have a claim on three chickens and you'll have a claim on two cows. And if that was the exchange rate. Mm-hmm. And then you get these big old sacks of coins. And it's like, geez, carrying these coins around is really heavy. And geez, mm-hmm. on the way, the bandits came and you know with their arrows and, and, and robbed us. So we took our coins and we put them in a bank and the bankers gave us pieces of paper notes to say, yeah, you have 27, you know, cow coins and 14 uh, chicken coins mm. and you can claim, you have a claim on those. And so the whole monetary system evolved from that barter system. And now then we discovered electricity and you know, maybe the greatest invention of all time, uh, and fire's right up there too, but, but electricity is a pretty good one. And so then we started doing electronic and now we've got digital and, and everybody knows the rest of the story. But that's a long answer to, to Adam Smith and, and why the invisible head. It was really cool. Um, when I was in um, Scotland, there was a statue of Adam Smith that I actually took a picture of and posted uh, on Twitter. Really? Very cool. Yeah. Uh, what's the, I mean... Cool. The, the reason why the reason why I wanted to get into this is because I think what you're describing here and that whole philosophy, the Adam Smith pioneered philosophy here, which really like found, I mean, everyone kind of accepted as being true to your point is now being slightly challenged, right? And if it's not a full breakdown in globalization writ large, there's kind of this emerging viewpoint that it's going to be something like a multipolar world, right? Where instead of one dominant superpower in the form of the United States, um, we're going to have Maybe the United States over here, kind of the leader of the Western world, and then some sort of alliance, right? Maybe between like a Russia and China over here. And there would be maybe separate supply chains for each one because honestly, one of the drawbacks of that comparative advantage is if if you have a, a global pandemic and all the masks get made in one place, right? Then then you're, there are obvious problems that arise with that or just medical mm-hmm. equi- equipment writ large if it's all manufactured yep. in one place. I feel like we're starting to see that break down a little bit. Um, so my, the, the reason I'm, you know, what I want to do is paint the picture here, potentially, if that is the case, a, a case for more secular inflation, just because there's on the, we, we talk a lot about almost more like the demand side um, and, and money, money sort of tampering, but on the supply side, that could really be disrupted by this, this multipolar fracturing that we're seeing. So what, what I want to, what I want to understand from you. And one thing that I, that I just have a lot of trouble like parsing out. Okay. So we're seeing this collapse, right? Like all of these charts that we're going to go through. So core PPI in July, you know, core PCE, everything the fed basically likes to take a look at. We're going through charts here uh, for those of you who are just following the audio 
is starting to collapse, right? Maybe they've taken an ax, right? like a chainsaw where a butter knife would have been applicable as very blunt tool. They tried to collapse demand. It looks like it's actually working. Uh, the headline CPI print came in below expectation. It was 8.5 handle where it should have been, you know, 8.7 eight, was the expectation or whatever it was. Um, you know, but my but my question to you is, do you think we've really tamped down the inflationary impulse? Like we're starting to see it collapse at the current time, but do you see it like almost a repeat of the 70s type situation where they didn't really fully muster the will to like stamp that inflation out of the economy? Because even though I see this, right, I see these charts, I, you know, you know, manage a business. Um, so I, I can see demand collapsing in real time in the economy, but then there are these other, these other little indicators, right, that, that it doesn't really like food, right? Like food inflation is still exploding, right? Like it just seems like everything that I buy on a day-to-day -day basis, it's like, it's practically ticking up by the day. So this is my super long-winded way of saying, do you see this collapse that we're seeing in PPI as something that's permanent, a permanent trend? Or do you see us kind of whipsawing, right, in between periods of inflation and then and then deflation? As we've, we've talked about before, right, <laughs> the answers are not the important part of, of anything. The questions mm. are the important part. And that's why I love, love doing this is, is you spend all this time during the week to, to come up and then you actually spend time thinking very lost art. So lost art. Uh, and, and, and I don't mean that in the sense that people aren't intelligent. It has nothing to do with intelligence. It's just time mm. and commitment to actually think, mm. right. To, to meditate. Uh, and so I don't, I don't mean, you know, having to, to do a mantra meditate, but meditate about an idea and, and think, about connecting all the dots and, and people just are so busy. They're so busy scrolling Instagram. They're so busy picking up the kids. They're so busy working to make a living. We just don't take enough time to really think about the big questions. Mm. And that's what I love about doing this show every week is you take the time to think about the big questions and I can just spew the answers, which are far less important than the question. Um, but the, but the question is, important because I will argue, and I have been arguing for a while, that we didn't have anything even remotely close to 70s style inflation, mm. despite the headline number that went to levels, you know, high single digits, or in some cases, double digits, low double digits, if you looked at certain components that got people freaked out. But what was being missed was this is this is a lag effect. You know, what, what I find just really funny about all of this is uh, there are certain things that are really slow to change. Mm. Right. And it's because there's a there's a process, right? If 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 the price of an input goes up sharply, then that input has to get harvested, has to get shipped, yep. has to get, you know, mixed, has to get produced, has to get transported, has to get put on the shelves, has to get sold. And eventually a new car price goes up if the price of steel goes up or the price of, of coking coal goes up or whatever. And so that measure inflation, you know, CPI, PPI is such a lagging indicator because the event that caused it happened long ago. So if you think back to, you know, the, the really uh, big evolution in, in the world, which is this move to digital, 
digital assets move instantaneously. And everybody says, you know, Bitcoin's not, not, a, not a good inflation hedge. Look, since November, you know, the price collapsed. November has nothing to do with anything. The money supply has actually been going this way. Money supply growth all happened in 2020 and early 2021. Since 2021, mid 2021 to today, we've had a decrease in money yeah. supply growth. We actually yeah. had negative money supply growth month over month for the first time in almost uh, 40 years. Hmm. So that, what's interesting is you create 50% of the dollars. What happens? Well, Bitcoin it measured in dollars, not one, you know, one Bitcoin, still one Bitcoin, but Bitcoin measured in dollars should have gone up a hundred percent. Huh? It did almost exactly. And instantaneously, no lag. So now we're all looking at these backward lagging indicators. And for some reason, people are, are surprised that all of a sudden they're rolling over. Well, look at oil prices. Oil prices three months ago were $120. Now they're $90. And I, I've been talking about this for a long time. By the election, by the election, oil prices are going to be closer to $60. Why? Because the number one indicator of whether people like the president and the party is gasoline prices. And the war on gasoline prices, right? You know, we've talked about this. You know, you, Mr. You know, service station, Mr. Gas Station, need to lower gas prices because you're scalping people. What are you talking about? Do you know how gasoline prices actually work? Most of the price is taxes. There's very little profit in gasoline. People who own gas stations don't make money on gasoline. They make money on selling cigarettes and lottery tickets and beer and and I've said this before too, if you walk into a convenience store and you want to put anything in your body, turn around and walk out. There's nothing in a convenience store that's good for you. No. Not one thing. So I so is is so to, to sum up then basically, are you like because I, I get I think one of the hardest things actually about trying to parse out cause and effect in the real world is a lag, right? Like ideally our our simple mm -hmm. human brains would like to see immediate cause and effect type relationships. So Basically, yep. but but th that is kind of the question, right? It's like, okay, so we, we're starting to see a decline in the money supply. That's this uh, direct response, right? This monetary tightening that the Fed is doing. They're raising rates. They're doing QT. Instead yep. of growing their balance sheet, they're like trying to, trying to take that balance sheet back in. I guess my question to you is that is is that sustainable? Because so we had I, the interview portion of um, this week, we brought on Jordy Alexander, if you know him. And, you know, we're kind of talking yep. about this question about, is the Fed actually, because because there's this idea out there, right? QT, we got to drain the excess money out of the system, right? We got to QT it all back in. And and then that's one way that this could go, right? And then that would, there'd be a huge, huge deflation, at least a recession, if not a depression, right? From the pain of withdrawing all the mm -hmm. excess liquidity in the system. Mm -hmm. Or you mm -hmm. could take the other approach that actually what's going to happen is what we've been talking about, which is some form of financial repression, which is inflation's kind of going to consistently run hot. Uh, it's going to be higher than interest rates. They're going to jack interest rates up, but not as high as inflation. And eventually that debt just gets inflated away and you get this weird stagflationary environment until hopefully things normalize. Uh, the debt normalizes to GDP to a relative level. Uh, so that's and, again, genius. So here's the thing. I, I, no, 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 no. I, 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 I want to hit this point really hard. I, I did a, a presentation yesterday. Um, and I do this around the world thing mm -hmm. on a monthly basis. And, uh, you know, since it's, you know, 
Top Gun Maverick season, greatest movie ever, by the way. Um, and if you, so I, I titled it um, Top Gun JPO. Mm. Okay, recession, depression, or soft landing. And you know, JPO promised us a soft landing, right? He was out there a year ago saying, "Don't worry, I got this. We're gonna have a soft landing." I'm like, really? You created the greatest amount of monetary inflation in history, which means you went, you know, and it, it, if you've seen the movie Top Gun uh, Maverick, you know, there's this scene, right, where they're trying to come into this box canyon and drop a bomb on the bottom of this nuclear enrichment site. And then you got to do this steep ascent to get out uh, over the, the canyon. It's very tense and it's, very, it's just awesome uh, visuals. But that's kind of what the money supply looked like. It's, it's, it's this parabolic increase. And so what you're telling me is as you're doing that parabolic increase with, you know, seven, eight G's crushing your chest, you're about to black out. You're just going to magically, you know, do a soft landing, you know, um, maybe. So I, I will argue that we're in recession. And Me too. Two negative quarters. Oh, that's not the definition. That's not the definition of recession. I understand that, but only one time in history. Okay. Have you had two consecutive quarters of negative GDP and not had a recession? That was in the 1947 post-war period where we, you know, jacked up production and uh, made it go away. But every other time. So, and there are six indicators. Five of them are where NBER would have to declare a recession. The only one that's positive is employment and employment's only positive because of illusion. So if you look at, at um, uh, the jobs number, it comes out every Thursday and there's this amazing thing that they do that the BLS, um, Bureau of Labor and whatever that stands for. Uh, statistics. Bureau of Labor Security, something like that. Statistics, thank you. Bureau of Labor Statistics. What they do is they can't actually count the number of jobs created. They can't walk around and look at a store and say, okay, you've got five more employees. And I would argue that they should be able to do it through payroll taxes. Yeah, I agree with you. Reason, they, yeah. use, they do something called the birth-death ratio. Yeah. And, and this is what they do. They literally <laughs> do this. And you can look it up, and I'm not making this up. They literally say, okay, we are X months into an expansion. Therefore, at X months, this many companies are formed and this many companies die, the birth-death ratio. And based on that, this many jobs are created. I'm like, but, okay, one, you're making an assumption that we're in an economic expansion still instead of a recession because the, uh, the uh, NBER, lots of acronyms, doesn't declare a recession until eight, nine months later. So... To say we're in an expansion is probably wrong. And you say that a number of companies are formed, but again, you don't count the companies. You're just saying based on the past. But right now, people don't have access to credit. Loans, CNI loans are going like this. Monetary velocity is going like this. So anyway, so they're made up. 85%. Can, okay. can I actually say, it's so funny that you're bringing this up. I've never, We've never talked about the birth-death ratio. I had... The episode that's going to come out on Wednesday, it's a sort of debate, sort of discussion between Mike Green and Ben Hunt. And what we were talking about, so Ben wrote this great essay in Epsilon Theory, Hollow Men, Hollow Markets, Hollow World. 
Um, and it's basically how, you know, it, the, increasingly, right, like what is being told to us, right, by politicians, members of uh, financial institutions isn't necessarily right. It's all this like working of the expectations channel, right? It's it's not saying things because you believe them. It is saying something because you want to elicit an effect. And ex exactly what they both centered in on mm -hmm. was exactly what you're describing, which is the birth death ratio. So that's a cool little preview, actually, of uh, yeah. it's just funny that you guys are both. Yeah, so, no, no, and, so and what's amazing. No, it's it's amazing. And, and again, and, and, you know, love those guys. And, and that's gonna be an amazing show. So Mm. Everyone, mm. put that on your calendar. Watch that show. Mm. I will be watching it. Mm. And here's the interesting thing: is so <laughs> employment looks like it's going like this, but it's just an illusion. Mm. And it's just not, those aren't real. Like I said, they're hollow men and women, hollow people. And and then it's worse than that because then on top of that, you get this thing that as people turn sixty-five, they're taken out of the labor force. Like I don't know if you've been. <laughs> to a Walmart lately, but there are a lot of 65 year olds and older still working because they have to. And, but they take them out of labor force. And so you get this magic illusion. Uh, it is an illusion and magic uh, that, that it looks like labor still strong. So I would say all six of the things say we're in a recession, but here's the problem. Is it going to be a shallow recession like 2001, you know, 2001, we had first quarter was negative. Second quarter was actually positive. Third quarter was negative, exacerbated by 9-11. Fourth quarter is positive. The whole year we actually grew, but it was a recession. It wasn't deemed a recession until later. Uh, the market was really tough that year. Now, what's interesting, and this is, I, I, I think this is really interesting back to, to, you know, piloting a plane and trying to make a soft landing is, so if you think about 2001, 2000, we had the tech wreck. And the stock started to go down. And then the Fed came and said, no, we got this. We're going to save everything. And we kind of went like this in the first quarter and got back to even. And then Cisco's like, well, yeah, we, we kind of lied about <laughs> yeah. earnings for the last five mm. years. I mean, there actually wasn't any earnings. And AOL and Time Warner are like, yeah, we kind of made up a bunch of stuff for the merger and we're going to unwind it all. And, and so, boom, market went down and and then we hit the summer doldrums like this. And there's, you know, everyone's on vacation. There's no volume and there's big short squeeze. And so the short squeeze, you know, pulls us out of the dive and, and we're coming back up and we got almost to even by September of 01. And then 9-11 happens, earnings collapse and, and it's like, bam. And we went straight down into nosedive and we were down 13% for the year. But then... This is this is the problem. Then the bad stuff happened, right? Then Enron, WorldCom, and all the fraud got discovered. And I will argue that this time is no different. There's a whole bunch of companies that have been kept alive through fraud and made up numbers, accounting shenanigans, tomfoolery, and uh, another word that that uh, Mike Green and others would use. It starts with an F. Um, but it's it's an interesting dynamic. And so, so Jaypo has this really tough job. You think of him in a, in a maverick helmet and, and uh, his flight suit and he's, he's swag. He's got this swagger and I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to stick the landing, but imagine trying to land a plane on an aircraft carrier. 
I mean, it's just one of the most amazing feats mm. in in all of I think you know modern modern technological technological history. So he's got to do that, and and I think it's it's literally like uh, the, the the scene at the end of Top Gun Maverick. Well, I kind of messed up the landing gear, taken off from that bombed out runway, and my tail hook's gone. So I hope you got a big net to catch me mm. uh, because I'm coming down hot and I'm coming down hard. And I, I will argue that this recession has the potential to become a depression. And that's the question, you know, recession, depression, or does he, does he pull us out of this so we get a soft landing? Uh, and that's, you know, Chuck Yeager said, any landing you can walk away from is a good landing. Plane could be totaled, but if I can walk away, it's yeah. a good thing. Uh, and I guess he did that five times where he crashed and, and still made it. I mean, Chuck was amazing. Talk about a great American hero. Um, so there's a 90-year cycle. And I won't go too, too deep into this, but there's a 90-year cycle. 1840, there was a depression. There was a recession, policy errors. We went to this free banking system. Uh, there was no central bank back then. And so they tried a different approach. Um for, poli for political reasons. It's always political reasons that causes mm. the problem. Then 1930, we had, you know, the market crash and Smoot and Hawley in their infinite wisdom, no mm. wisdom at all, said, hey, tariffs, tariffs is what we need to do. We need to stop this globalization back to this anti-globalization thing. We need to be self-reliant and, you know, in that wake of World War One, And Long story short, boom, turned into a depression. Mm. Now, 90 years later, uh, here we are in 2022, and we got a recession. We got not just the Fed. Here's the crazy thing, Michael. This is the greatest contraction of liquidity mm. in history. On a global basis, you got central banks all over the world. It is the biggest tightening of liquidity, and it's this anti-globalization thing. And... And the thing about pipelines is if you let them go dry, it's really hard to restart. Yeah. You know, if you, if you stop the momentum of, of something good, it's really hard to restart it like a flywheel. And so I, I think we are dangerously close to, to a, a whole bunch of stuff. And again, it doesn't have to happen that way, but, but I am yeah. concerned about it. I, I think um, it's all it's always tough to like looking at history is 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 helpful right it's the best thing that we have uh, to predict the future or at least to avoid some of the same mistakes but I would say maybe one of the differences between now and where we've been in the past is actually the degree of let's call it whatever loose money or financial manipulation or whatever is it that's in the system is actually so high that I think people are genuinely scared. I, I think I think policymakers understand and are deathly afraid of what happens when they withdraw and stop manipulating to the degree that they have been. Because to to your point, it would just it would cause something that's pretty um like when Volcker we we talked about why the 1970s might be a bit of a flawed analogy because if Volcker if, we can't raise rates to 18 percent. I mean even the most wild uh, hawks out there right are nobody's talking about nobody's even talking about like six percent rates right. Uh, so it's just. Yeah, I think it's just different. I, I want to get though to a to an important story because we've got some some interesting things going on in crypto land, and maybe the most interesting 
way to bridge what we're talking about, right? Especially with some of these, um, well, I, I don't want necessarily didn't like that. I want to talk about Coinbase earnings um, because Coinbase earnings came out this week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I know you guys are, uh, you know, an investor in the stock. I actually, I'm not sure if I've announced this publicly. I, I actually have, I top ticked Coinbase. Um, I, I, bought, I bought like the IPO and I've aggr- aggressively top ticked the stock, uh, but I'm still a big fan of the company. Um, but I do think it's interesting to go through earnings and pick out a couple of things, right? Um, so, you know, uh, Coinbase, you know, they announced a big loss uh, on their earnings. So it's like over a billion dollars of net income loss, uh, which no one was particularly surprised about, right? Um, they had an adjusted EBITDA figure, which I want to talk to you about because there's something very interesting going on there with uh, stock-based compensation, which I think is a broader, uh, more important point that we should be talking about because that's finally starting- and broader to, issue. Broader yeah. issue that's starting to yeah. matter again. Um, and then I also want to talk about like the composition of Coinbase's revenue. I actually want to ask you a question because I've been looking into this and for the life of me, I can't figure out what it actually is. But- um, you know, the breakdown of these exchanges. So Coinbase is, uh, you know, they did some $800 million in revenue this past quarter, right? $650 million of that was transaction-based. $150 million of that was, uh, it was their services, their kind of subscription services uh, type stuff, which is largely, I think, staking-based, uh, staking-based uh, um, mm-hmm. revenue. The, the transition for Coinbase is they want to move from a a transaction-based model where like 616 of the 650 million is from retail, which is not sustainable, I think, in the long run. So they got to find a way to bridge that gap, right? I know Brian Armstrong is probably internally being like, guys, I know we've made a lot of money doing this. We got to, you know, charge for it. We got to move into, uh, you know, providing access to these other services within crypto. Um, but I'm curious to get like your breakdown of of how you see them making that transition. Like, do you, when you look at Coinbase, do you still view them as a largely an exchange with their semi-successfully trying out the subscription model or like how do, how do you view their revenue breakdown and and what is that line item on the on the um it's like 150 million of is it staking revenue i've, I've been trying to figure yeah. out what it actually is no i think i think that's i think you're right i think mm-hmm. that's 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 what it is and it yeah there's there's some fee-based services that that you know they have a custody business mm-hmm. you know, they have a big institutional custody business that, that we use uh because I, you know, they they bought Zappo, right? right? And it's kind of like the Fort Knox, not Fort Knox. It's more like a Swiss bank, Swiss yeah. vault, uh, with cameras and armed guards, and and you know, the old fashioned. Mm. If you're gonna if you're gonna have this asset, you know, think about gold, right? Gold is these these bars, and you don't want it to be stolen, so you put them in a vault, and you concrete walls and and combination locks, and you got you know guards, and you know, it's pretty expensive. And and so if you go back to the early days. When Wences Cesars was talking about this, and he's talking to all his friends, like, okay, do this, and they did, and people made a bunch of money. And like, well, what do we do with now? It's a bare asset. I don't want my house because someone comes to my house. So they put it in this this vault, and Coinbase has that. So that that's a thing that can develop, and and you know, just charge me a fee for custody. And it's kind of like the difference between you know retail banking. Uh, in the old days of retail banking, it was very transactional and you charged people for, for everything. And, and then Wells Fargo figured out a way to, to turn it into more of a, a fee for service model and who then bought it, Warren Buffett, because he likes fee for service businesses mm. that he can lever up. Um, and I think the same thing's true here is if you think about, uh, an exchange, an exchange, look, really important. And, you know, we've had an explosion of exchanges. 
globally. You know, some of the best investments right now are in these other emerging and developing countries where people are, are just coming to, to the business. And you know, you've got one in Indonesia that's going crazy, and, I mean, in a good way. Uh, you got some in, in Eastern Europe, um, the Middle East. And so exchanges go like this, like, like the banking industry did, and then it'll consolidate. And there'll be a small number at, at the top. And, you know, I, I don't, you know, I know the Wall Street wants to hear, you know, we're moving away from retail and what's wrong with retail, right? Retail is really, really important. And okay, we don't want to be a shitcoin casino. Fine. Um, but, you know, people are going to trade stuff. And is the stock market any different than a shitcoin casino? The vast majority of stocks are micro caps and, and just punting right. back and forth. You know, most people, like most people don't think, hmm. you know, I, I want to trade IBM. I want to trade it back and forth. Oh, they don't want to trade. They want to trade hmm. some little biotech company or some little fintech company. Nothing wrong with that. That's how speculative behavior happens and what makes markets. So I think that functions perfectly fine. You get a higher multiple for fee-based revenue than transactional revenue. It's always been the case. It's like this migration to cloud. Right? You take you take a, a software business that used to charge for boxes, and then you say, oh, you're going to pay us three years in advance of, of what we used to pay every year, like a Norton. And instead of getting a, a six times multiple, now we're going to get a, a 26 times multiple. Like it's the mm. same amount of revenue, but... For whatever reason, we pay a higher multiple for it. So that game has been going on forever. So I do think the communication of, no, we're going to move to a more you know, fee-based system. And, and I think you need to innovate, right? Coinbase was first as a big exchange. I think they, they do need to innovate. Uh, they need to get the NFT platform up and vibrant. And, you know, the last time I checked, they had what, 6 million people on the waiting list. I'm one of them and I'm still waiting. Um, but I think that came came closer to, to reality. Maybe I just haven't been paying attention. Uh, so that's a long answer to say, look, I, I think the challenge for Coinbase is uh, they are in a position that they threaten mm. the hegemony, right? The reason that Brian got in a little pissing match with the head of the SEC was, you know, we've talked about this, right? We're in the then they fight you stage. Mm. We are in, we are, we are deep in it and it's going to get worse. And we're going to talk about that. We're in the then they fight you stage. 2009 to 15, first they ignore you. Nah, nerds, geeks, you know, go play with your magic internet money, whatever. 16 to 21, then they laugh at you. Are you serious? This is not real. This is just stupid. Okay. Ha ha ha. You guys are idiots. Um, now you're talking multi-billion dollar companies. You're talking huge swaths of the population being involved and engaged. Uh, and it's like, oh, wait a minute. This is real. This is, this is an evolution of computing power. This is better money. This is uh, a whole better way of doing commerce. Geez, I, I better get worried. So now the big boys, you know, the Black Rocks and the Citadels and, and everybody else is like, 
I need to right. get involved. And that's why we're seeing announcement after announcement. And so Coinbase is in a, in a tough spot in that they were first, they were best, and everyone's now coming at them. And just like you think about the big banks, once they got big, then what happened is, is the fintech guys came and chipped away at them and tried to take little pieces of their business. <laughs> we know the problem with fintech, right? We've said this before. There's no mm. tech, right? We're still using Fedwire, ACH, 60, 70-year-old technology. Not very, not very good. And now what we have the chance to do is build real new payment rails, new commerce rails. And that's all very, very exciting. But for me, I think Coinbase is going to struggle as the one being under attack regulatorily, uh, competition-wise. Although I did think it was very interesting that BlackRock said, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. And they didn't join them no. completely. But they said, you know, and, work together. And BlackRock is rolling out its own solution, which, which we'll talk about in a bit, um, which is... Honestly, and I got again as uh, here our guest on the roundup last week. You know, gave you credit on Twitter. You know, if you, and again, if you've been listening to the roundup, right? The playbook is first you fight them, then you you know you lobby against it. You say, hey, this isn't good, blah blah blah. You try to beat the price, and then you launch your own solution. And that's literally exactly what BlackRock has done. Um, but before we get there, I do want to get your your take just on the stock based compensation. Yep. Um, so to to share some raw numbers oh, with you yeah. here. So the, the reason why stock-based compensation is important and how this how's the, how this filters down to a balance sheet, right, is stock-based compensation is, right, instead of saying, uh, hey, maybe you get $100,000 a year for your job, take $80,000 in cash and another twenty in our stock, right? That's good if the stock goes up, not so good if the stock mm -hmm. goes down. Um, importantly, that's a non-cash expense, Right. So when a company's when a company has to pay you, right, there's actual dollars that have to flow out of a bank account, but give you stock, non-cash expense. Right. So overall, what that has the effect of doing is juicing your free cash flow. Right. Like that's the most important thing. That's the way that I see it, right? Giving stock-based compensation. Absolutely. Right. So um, if you want to reduce your burn or if you want to show a more positive free cash flow, then maybe is like actually reflected, right? Um, you do stock-based compensation. So the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up, and uh, this is where I want to actually, I weirdly, I actually see both sides of this issue here. So Coinbase's stock-based compensation on, you know, 800 some odd million dollars of revenue was 391 million. That's almost 50%. That's very high, right? Uh, so you can actually see the EBITDA that they reported is actually adjusted EBITDA, and the adjustment is not including stock-based compensation. So that's a little bit of this, uh, you know, just something to point out. Right. But that being said, I, I have... Tech companies have been doing this for years. 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 Tech companies have been doing years. this for years. Amazon, Facebook, I mean, Microsoft. They, they, it, it, is, it is a, again, it's accounting yeah, right. shenanigans. It's the bezel. Right. It's, it's the, it's, you know, John Kenneth Galbraith talked about this, is the accountants will come up with ways to fool yeah. the system against reality and the top will steal that's the bezel embezzlement um from the masses until they're found out and then regulations will come in tighten mm. it down and then you'll start over and you know stock-based compensation 
you know, carried interest, uh, taxation, all of these things are out there that could become a, prob uh, a problem for companies. But guess what? Every time the regulators go after it magically, magically oh my god the last second it magically gets taken out. Magically. i was gonna tell oh magically. shoot i was gonna talk to you about this but yeah carried money, interest money, almost money, carried money, interest money. almost the loophole almost got closed and for those listening and mark you you know this so much better than i do but just Never. to give you guys a right if you're a, a gp at a fund you get paid in two different ways you've got your management fee and then your performance fee right so like let's say i raise a hundred million dollars worth of other people's money Maybe I get 2% of that, right? To like cover my expenses and operating costs, that's 2 million bucks. But then let's say I invest that $100 million, I get 20% of that. So I earn $20 million from my investors. 80% of that goes back uh, you know, to my investors, but I keep 20% of it for myself. That's what I get. Now, the way that that gets taxed is not at ordinary income tax, right? So if you're making that, usually GPs and hedge funds, private equity funds, right? They're making the big bucks, right? They should get taxed at the highest tax bracket. But what they say is actually, that's a poor alignment of incentives, right? I should be incentivized, right? I should be thinking long-term, yada, yada. So they actually get taxed at long-term cap gains tax instead of ordinary income tax, which is, you know, 20%. Well, so you and I may differ mm. on this, is, is that's the way it should mm. be, right? It is capital mm. at risk. It is yeah. an investment. And, it, and, and look, capital gains tax rate should mm. be zero. There should be no mm. tax on capital gains, right? Taxing income creation and wealth creation. Stupid. Oh yeah. You look, tax it's consumption. Stupid. It's yeah. always been stupid. Yeah. I mean, look, the idea carried interest came from ancient times, right? Corinth, right? It was this little town on the little isthmus of mm. the, the Greek peninsula and the ships would go down around the peninsula and they'd crash. And like, we don't want to crash. So they built a train track across the seven miles of, of the isthmus and you'd pull into Corinth and you would put your ship on the track and they would carry it. Literally slaves would carry it, pull it on the track across and they would take 20% of the carried hmm. interest. And that went on for years. And then when Queen Isabella sent, you know, Christopher with his ships, she said, all the gold, 80% of it's yours, 20% is mine, the carried interest. And when you put capital at risk, right? You know, she put capital at risk. Those ships could have got down. Mm. Most ships did go down. You lose it. And so if you think about management fee, I get regardless of what happens. Markets go up, markets go down. I still get my management fee. That should be taxed at the highest rate. It's ordinary income. Now, it shouldn't be taxed at ordinary income. You should tax my consumption, not my income. But, but that aside... The money we put to work, it could go down mm. and then there is no incentive fee. If it goes up and we make money for our investors, that is a gain. And so there are a lot of people who differ on this, but, but in the end, that loop, you call it a loophole, that will never go away because the amount of money that goes into lobbying is insane yeah. in this regard, right? So- People will talk about it and they'll, and they'll complain about it. And Liz Warren will, will rail against it. But look who Liz Warren gets paid by. And, and you have a different view. And ultimately, it's, it's, look, the graft and corruption in D.C. is frightening. It's not just D.C. Look, your own state, right? In New York, <laughs> the governor, 
300 grand. That's not even a lot of money. Again, it's a lot of money to, to, to most the average person, but I don't, I mean, it's not no. like yeah, no. millions and millions of dollars. This family gives her $300,000 and using an emergency use authorization, she gives them a $600 million contract for COVID tests. Are you kidding me? No bid, no contract, no, no open, you know, competition. That's wrong. That, that's, that's, that's actually a felony in my mind that she should be in jail. Here, I'm going to propose something that a million people have thought of, but I'm just thinking of it. You know how uh, like the FDA, right? In your, when you sell food in a store, you have to say, Hey, this is what the, the caloric intake looks like, right? Here are the different ingredients in it. You have to say that the yes. freak politicians yes. have to wear a goddamn Jersey and say, these are my top five donors. They should just have to wear it. Like they should yes. have to, Love and so it. you, Love yeah, like, like NASCAR. NASCAR. So you can like just NASCAR. physically look at it. Awesome. You know, even just the top five. Just the top five. Love. And it should honestly love. be there visibly. You know? <laughs> because, Mark. I love it. No, there's, it there's such a. So, okay, right? Let's say of all the politicians that are out there, even this, I don't know how public this information is. I should look into this. But let's say, uh, you know, nobody knows, right? Like, the 2% of people even know who is paying who. But it, there's a huge difference between just knowing where the money is coming from and physically having to see it. Imagine like Elizabeth Warren getting up there, right? And I'm not picking on Liz Warren here. Take any any Republican, right, too. Uh, just imagine a politician getting up anyway, and anyway. railing against, uh, you know, crypto with like JP Morgan as their number one <laughs> donor. You're like, wait a second. Wait a second. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. Or, or how about this? How about How about – Anyone getting up to say, you must take this vaccine with a giant mm. Pfizer badge on their yeah. chest. I think we're making dangerously good sense here, Mark. I think we're making dangerously good sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, um, dangerously you know, I just, sense. yeah. DGS. Mm. DGS. But um, I, I want to briefly return to the stock-based compensation. Because the, the, the important, and the reason why I actually want to defend well, here, I'll say something that this may be not super friendly to Coinbase, and then I want to defend them to give both sides of the argument here. So basically, sure. you know, Coinbase's EBITDA, right? Like they would have to be paying more, right? People are basically assigning a burn rate to the company. Like it's probably worse actually than it looks in the numbers, um, yep. especially when honestly SBF did this tweet and not a lot of people picked up on it. And he's a, he's doing his own psyops thing, right? He's not friendly to Coinbase, right? He wants people to pick up on this, but you know, the transaction cost that he outlined that was probably, you know, that there's a there's a question mark about how profitable really the subscription part is on Coinbase. So basically their stock-based compensation to their employee ratio is very high. However, here's how I'll defend them. I understand why that is because it was impossible to hire in crypto for the last 12 months because every little random shitcoin that raised money created $300 million out of thin air, which was actually worth nothing in most cases. We're doling out $5 million to anyone who would join. And if you were an actual company that was trying to build in this industry, it was just so difficult to hire. And that's what Coinbase was going up against. They were going up against uh, people, you know, people yeah. saying, Hey, uh, I'm getting paid $5 million by random, you know, uh, you know, decks on, you know, an nth level, like third tier layer one. Yeah. And, you know, you can say, that isn't real money until the cows come home, but people don't listen in those situations. Um, and if I was if I was an employee being offered that, no. I wouldn't either. No, 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 no. 
but in the bubble, in the bubble, yeah. nobody listens. Yeah. In the bull market, yeah. everyone's a genius. Uh, and, and look, we are, we are in a really interesting time. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, $800 million of revenue in a quarter. I think it is too. Awesome. There are not very many companies. There are not very many companies in the world. But there's, that's a, there aren't that many companies in the world. There, there, there are not zero, but there aren't that many that can earn eight hundred mm. million dollars in a quarter. And and I'll make up a stat on the spot. Right, eighty five percent of mm. statistics are made <laughs> up on the spot. Uh, so I will follow that. Um, that I'm gonna guess if you looked at the revenues of the S and P five hundred. Some large number, 420, 450, four, I don't know, of the companies don't make mm. that much in a year, let alone a quarter. No, no. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. And the other thing about Coinbase that I want to defend on them too is like there are all these people in this industry uh, who are like these you know, centralized companies, blah, blah, blah. It's like, guys, but they're also leading the front advocating for us on – the regulatory stage, right, which is something that largely happens behind closed doors and in, is, is in public, and they're like a lot is riding on Coinbase now. So if you're sitting there, you know, saying, and they've spent more money on security, they've spent more money on safety, they've spent more money on education. They provide a service to help, yeah, the masses, the people who don't have time and inclination to really understand how you manage yeah. a bearer asset yet, they will eventually. Uh, and eventually there'll be a wallet system that's good enough and safe enough, but right now there's not. And for the same reason that banks exist, like theoretically, right? We could all keep our money in our house. I don't want to do that. Why would we want to live in that world? I don't want to live in a world where I have to have a shotgun. No, exactly, to, I, exactly. Why I'm with would we want that. to live in that I'm, world? Exactly. And, and he, exactly. Sorry. Exactly. And there's just there's a reason that these types of businesses exist. And look, um, when you're at the top of your game, the haters are going to hate. So the haters are going to hate on Brian. The haters are going to hate on Coinbase. But at the end of the day, they started with nothing but an idea, and they executed. And they built a great business. <laughs> Started from the bottom. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so. All right. I've got to shoot. I actually, yeah. damn, I've got so much that I want to work through here and I'm just remembering. Um, but okay. Here's the, here's the, actually, here's the one thing that I want to outline to you. And it's an, I think it's an important point because it's a realization that I'm coming to. Um, so these treasury sanctions uh, against tornado cash are, an enormous deal, right? And as the Treasury sanctioned yeah. Tornado Cash, and there's breaking news this morning, so we're recording this on Friday, like we always do. It's 9.06 a.m. current time. Um, you know, BlockWorks just reported that the the authorities have arrested uh, a 29-year-old in Amsterdam suspected of being a developer for Tornado Cash. Um, but Circle, USDC, again, in another very difficult position, is sanctioning uh, smart contract addresses. Now, the reason why this is important is because unlike in the way enforcement works in the banking system is there's KYC, right? So basically the onus is on the bank to enforce KYC and know who they're dealing with. So regulators can go to banks and then banks can enforce to individual people. The, what, what is interesting, what is 
really challenging about about the current way that the Treasury is trying to outline their sanctions is you, they're putting the onus on individual people. Because there are no intermediaries, they're sanctioning individual smart contract addresses, which makes it very difficult because someone can just send you tainted, you know, USD tainted ETH or something like that. And suddenly your your address, right, that received that can just get frozen. And what makes that really challenging in the case of Circle yeah. and USDC is that USDC is the collateral for an enormous amount of DeFi, including more decentralized stablecoins like DAI, right? Maker DAI, right, is largely collateralized by USDC. And there's one smart contract, the PSM, which control like is is the is the mint is the mint function, right? For for maintaining the peg. So that is so basically if you sent uh, you know tainted tainted assets into that smart contract, it could jeopardize the entire existence of uh of maker so rune you know rune the co-founder of maker in discord yesterday it's like hey i think we should abandon right we should move away from usdc into eth even at the the risk of losing the peg on die now to me i understand the existential risk i just don't think that's worth it because you if you don't have a peg you don't have a product right the whole the whole product is maintaining the peg so you're kind of saying to have Avoid this risk in the product. Let us destroy the product, and then there will be no risk. So I don't agree with that, but like, man, yeah, it is a tricky yeah. dilemma for DeFi right now. Um, I, I don't know. Look, we we've we've talked about this, and and this is, and the sad part is, this is the beginning. This is not the end. This yeah. is this is the beginning of the then they fight you stage, and the the yeah. banks. Right, those NASCAR sponsors of, of politicians really don't no. want to lose. Right, they really like the fact that my money, much of it, sits at this you know, Bank of America place, and it's their money now. And they would really like it if I didn't take it and convert it into Bitcoin and other things, which I've done over the years. I've told the story that first time I, I tried to buy Bitcoin, uh, actually at Coinbase, not even like directly. It froze my money for 14 days. Like, well, what do you mean? Like, well, look at your contract. That's what it says we can do. Like, I, I know you can, but why? Like, well, because we don't want you transferring. That that's a money that we like. And so this this whole idea of uh, you know what do I say? 70% of, of dollars have traces of cocaine on them. So is that dollar disqualified? If it's got cocaine on it, it's been in illicit activity and therefore you know, you shouldn't be able to use it. Well, obviously, you can't do that because you can't tell if a dollar has been where. But if it's in a bank account, you can freeze that bank account. That's what sanctions are. If it's in a smart contract, oh, you can freeze it now. And so this idea that it, one part per billion, right? If one fraction of a Bitcoin went through an account linked to Al-Qaeda, that Bitcoin is now- no I agree. Bitcoin. That's just ridiculous absolutely ridiculous it's 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 insane but they they the you know in air quotes get to make the rules and he who has the gold makes the rules or they who have the gold makes the rules men and women uh and they are gonna fight and they're gonna do this stuff and i'm with you i i, I think burning something I down to save it wrong answer uh we gotta fight and we got to fight, and and you know, unfortunately, who's going to get rich? 
the lawyers again. <laughs> yeah, they always do, man. I, I, I don't know who, I, if you're a lawyer, I honestly, do. my heart goes out to you. I thought I was going to be a lawyer for most of my life as a classic psych double major. So I have a lot of empathy, but I also have tried to, I have tried to get a straight answer lawyers. from a lawyer. <laughs> oh my God. Man. It is like trying to draw blood from the stone. It's like, please just tell me, please, for the love of God, just tell me. Straight answers don't make money. No, no, straight answers don't make money because uh, straight answers yeah, don't lead to further yeah, questions. You need to give answers that prompt more questions because mm. questions are valuable. Every time you ask a yeah. question, they get to charge you. And so you can't, you go, well, it could be this or it could yeah. be this or it could be this. Which one do you want? Oh, B, pick B. Okay, now, but B, it could be B1, B2, B3. So which one do you want? B2. Oh, well, B2 could be B2 little A. And look, Transactional business is awesome. Like one of my favorite jokes, uh, you know, so two good lawyer jokes, right? One, what's 40 lawyers in the bottom of the ocean? Good start, ha, ha, ha. Um, uh, but, but my favorite one is, you know, the guys at the pearly gates. And uh, he says, you know, St. Peter, there, there must be something wrong. I'm, I'm only 50 years old. I, I can't be here yet. And he says, no, according to your timesheets, you're 100. <laughs> so, you know. I've, I've experienced That's funny. that. My, I thought you were getting, you know, you gave me a little bit of nostalgia there. My grandpa, the like every joke he told me when I was a kid was an interaction between St. Peter and someone at the pearly gates. You just gave me a little bit of great nostalgia there. Um, all right. I, we, all right. So I've got to wrap it here because we're out of time, but I've got a bit of homework for people. Um, no, no, no. Actually, well, I got two bits of homework. First, click the link at the bottom, Mike250. Use that code, please, for the love of God. But second... Go look up something called why most published re- published research findings are false. Look that up. I went down this rabbit hole. This was inspired by a guy named Zuko Wilcox. He did a recent interview on on Up Only, and I listened. And just look that up. All right, that's going to plant a seed for something, Mark, that you and I are going to cover uh, in next week's episode. I was I was blown away by this. Um, so look it up. Why most uh, published research findings are false, um, Mark. Best hour of my week, my friend. I will see you here same time next week. Cheers. Awesome. 